So last week, we wrapped up chapter 12. And as we wrapped up chapter 12, we were concentrating on those last couple of verses. And this church at Corinth, it was not unlike many churches today, they were obsessed by the extraordinary spiritual gifts and particularly the gift of tongues. That was their their big thing. That was their identity. That's what they were uh, going on about. And Paul doesn't want these folk to be ignorant about their spiritual gifts. And it would seem that there was questions that they had and they wanted some clarification. And as his role as an apostle, he is laying the foundational principles regarding spiritual gifts. And as he went through this first chapter 12, as he goes through this chapter 12, he he, he emphasizes several things. And one is that the Gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. They're not learnt, they're not taken, they are given. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers them. It's the Holy Spirit that makes them happen. We, we can't make it happen. The Holy Spirit does that. Spiritual gifts are primarily for the, the benefit of the church. And tragically, they were using them selfishly. And and nowadays, we can see churches and individuals using spiritual gifts in a selfish way. They're not meant selfishly. They're meant for the benefit of the whole church. All the members of the church are needed. We're a family. We're a body. And every part of the body is needed. And no one person is greater than another within the church family. All the gifts are needed. We need all the different spiritual gifts. We need all the ordinary gifts within a church life to be able to operate. But Paul brings this tension, as it were, but to, 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 to tell us that some gifts, those that are edifying, preaching and teaching, are greater than others. That doesn't mean the person who manifests that gift is any better. We're all the same. But there are some gifts that have a higher importance because they edify the church. And that's what Paul was bringing to us, bringing to the Corinthians at the end of that. He said, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And all our gifts should be used in context with earnestly desiring, earnestly going after the higher gift. As I was saying last week, you may not be uh, someone who can teach or preach. That may not be your gift. But your gifts within the church family are able to be used to support that. To enable that to happen. And so as we go forward, Paul then brings to these people and says to them, the Corinthians at the end of chapter uh, 12, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Or in the language and the speak of now, and I will show you the next level. I'm quite convinced that if Paul was writing this to Africans now, that's the kind of phrase he would say, yeah? It is the next level. And so what is the next level? What is going on? I want you to imagine as this letter was being read, as the Corinthians are hearing the words, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Can can you imagine what they were thinking? Can you imagine what was going through their minds? Paul has been expressing to them very clearly and very openly the gifts of the Spirit. He's talked about healing. He's talked about prophecy. He's talked about their favorite, tongues. 
he, he said that there is uh, higher gifts that should be gone after, the, the things that people should be looking for and wanting. And then he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. The, the Corinthians thought the tongues was the excellent way. And, and Paul taught that teaching and preaching was a higher gift. And he's saying there's something more excellent than that. There's something more important than that. And, and pagan Corinthian society thought that giving up of yourself, giving your personal possessions, giving even up your life itself was the highest form of, of, of spirituality. And, and Paul is speaking to these people. And as he gets to the end of laying out these foundations... He, he challenges them. He opens up to them. And he says to them, And I will show you a still more excellent way. I will show you the next level. And then immediately we come into chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And, 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 and 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has been spoiled. It's been spoiled from its context. It, it so often gets wheeled out at weddings. I'm sure many of you have been to weddings, and these are the verses that are read. And of course, it makes sense to read these verses on love at a wedding, but that's not what it's about. This isn't a passage that was given to us just for weddings. It is far more than that. This passage surely is all about love. And, and, and as I say, you, you hear it read at weddings uh, a few years ago. One of Rachel's close friends, a Turkish Cypriot girl, had, had come across these verses and, and she really liked them. And I thought, well, it would be a nice idea if we could get her a little plaque for her house with those on. And I was in uh, America and I was in one of their big stores. And, and I think there was an aisle possibly as long as, as this part of the church with plaques and things just with these verses on it. I was staggered. Everyone seems to, to want to hang this verse. There was fridge magnets. And, and you can get screensavers. And, and maybe you've got it on your phone. Or some of you maybe got that. It's a very Instagrammable phrase. There's some lovely ones here, isn't there? You can, you can, you can hang on to them. They, they sound so, so great. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. Well, perhaps we won't have that one so much. But we like kind things, don't we? And just a couple of years back, in all places, in China Bazaar, in North Cyprus, they were selling mugs with these verses on them. This love is message. And so as I was thinking of this, I was thinking so many people around the world must have heard these verses. So many people must have heard these love is message. And so I asked the internet. I asked the internet how many people they thought it estimated had heard these verses. And this was the Internet's answer. The exact number of people who've heard these specific words would be difficult to quantify. No surprise there. But it would likely be in the billions, given the global reach and the Bible's wide distribution and humanity's love of love. There's this obsession in society for love, isn't there? Pop culture is obsessed with love. Most of the, the, the songs that are out there 
and, and particularly the older ones, were all about love and falling in love or falling out of love or unrequited love. And, and film culture is driven by the theme of love. So many films about love and, and how it happens or how it doesn't happen or, 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 or how it goes wrong. And How many of your Nollywood, whatever it's called, series in Nigeria have their whole themes written around complicated, difficult love situations. If you go into a bookshop, if you go onto Amazon and, and you go to the nonfiction section and you put in love, there are masses of self-help books to help you understand love, help you to get love. In Zambia, I, I saw a signpost and it told me that I could go to a man, maybe a woman, I don't know, who had a cauldron who would make me a love potion. And people would then fall in love with me. And Rachel still does love me, so I'm very thankful. And horoscopes tell you how to find love. And we, we, we have love poems and love sonnets. And they go back to ancient things. And we all get gooey-eyed. And we love Valentine's Day. And we love love. And we love the idea of falling in love. And we love loving families. And the phrase is, love makes the world go round. But while we live in this love-obsessed world, we don't really know what love is. And it's very interesting because love, in the language of the Greek, had different phrases for love. We, we, we talk about love. And they had different phrases. And while this world we live in is obsessed with love and, and what love has to offer and what love has to experience, the love that this world is talking about, all too often, most of the time, is so different to the love of Corinthians 13. This love-obsessed world is, is holding on to things. And the love that we so often see experienced in the world is, is, is philia love. It's a family love. And that, that's the original word that was used. And that was about family relations, brothers and sisters and, and mums and dads and, and, and that kind of thing. Or then there was eros which is sexual love, romantic love, uh, romantically sexually charged love. And that, that's the one that's peddled around so much nowadays. That's the one that the world thinks is love. And, and these loves, uh, essential sexual love, in the context of a marriage, as God intended, is good. And, and, and filial love, a family love, a, a brotherly love between family members is good. And it's important in its context. But they fall short of, of what love really is. Of what this chapter 13 is telling us what love is. Now, now some people have suggested that chapter 13 was like a hymn. It was like a song. And, and some people think that the, maybe the Apostle Paul wrote it earlier and wanted to, to bring it in here as an illustration, or it may be written by somebody else. And there's, there's lots of speculation, and it's interesting, but it doesn't change the big message. So let's, let's not worry about the technicality of that. What we do know is when the Corinthians would have read this, when the Corinthians would have heard it, they would have immediately recognized the word that Paul used. He didn't use eros. Sexual love. He didn't use filia, family love, brotherly love. 
he used agapo. Now, that's from agape. And this is the verb form of agape. It's a verb that he used. A verb is for an action. And this word is used for a divine love, a selfless love, a God-inspired love, a love beyond what this world knows as love. This love is a demonstration of a God's inspired love. It's a love that takes action. And this chapter opens... It opens our eyes to this true love, this agape, this divine selfless love. And and this chapter is not so much a self-help guide of how to get love. It's not really even a description of love. It's not defining love. It's about showing the Corinthians and showing us now how love should and must change everything. And affect every part of our life and our existence and our church life. The the, the problems of this world is that the love that it wants to hold on to, this eros love, this filial love, it ends. Family members die and love ends. And, And yes, you could say, I love my deceased grandmother. And we do, but... They can't love back, and love is a two-way thing. And the world's love is broken, and sexual love ends because death comes in. And, and, and agape is totally indifferent. You see, Paul is bringing this word of love, this divine love here, and he's saying, look, this love will take messy, a messy individualistic church and change it. This love will take a selfish individual and change them. And it will make them and give them eternal value. This love gives eternal values. This love is an eternal love. It transcends. Agape love is different from eros and filial. Agape, it transforms and traverses and then transcends this world. I hope that excites you. This is a love that's been talked about here in Corinthians 13. It is a love that transforms and traverses this world and transcends this world. And it goes on. And so these three first first verses in in chapter 13, Paul sets out an equation. Now now bear with me. It's not a big, deep equation. I wanted this to, to, to help us to remember it. Now, the equation is to understand this still more excellent way. It's the next level. And this is the equation for the next level, if you like. So the chapter is all about love. And then we have this equation. If minus but equals nothing. If minus but equals nothing. You see, Paul sets out three ifs. And and we're going to see this equation come to life as we look at these three ifs. There was the Corinthian standard of spirituality. There was a Corinthian's center of what they thought was having made it, and that was tongues. And the Apostle Paul starts off this chapter as he's talking about this more excellent way, this next level way, and he starts off with if. He's not saying, I do. 
He's not saying you should. He's not saying you will. He's saying if. If. If I, Paul, speak in the tongues of men and angels. Now we know the Corinthians were obsessed with tongues. We can see it. This We have these three chapters that are all devoted to this subject. And we see from the context and, and what they are talking about. That They saw this as a, a manifestation of, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They saw it as something special. They saw it as something from their background, as something that had to be desired. They were almost seemingly going to the, the ends of saying that everyone needed to have this gift. And, and, and Paul was setting out a scenario that so many of the Corinthians were aspiring to. This may have been their prayer. They maybe wanted to pray in the tongues of men and angels. That, that this is what they were after. This is what they thought was the height of spirituality. And, and, and Paul is covering all the bases. He doesn't just mention the tongues that were demonstrated in Acts. When we talked about tongues and tongues being a gift of the Spirit, we talked about the fact that in Acts it was languages that were known, but they were spoken by people who had never learned them. So it would be like me going to Nigeria and speaking fluent Hausa without having learnt it. Just opening my mouth, coming out, and people understanding me. That, that's what it was then. And this is the, the tongue, men, tongues of men that Paul is talking about. Uh, and he's saying, look, you can have this. If you know a language that's, that, that, and you're speaking a language that's known without having to learn it. And then he brings up the, 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 the tongues of angels. And, and some commentators feel that Paul is, is using hyperbole. He's using this to emphasize the if. And, and so it's not actually saying that there is a gift of, tongue, uh, of, of speaking like angels. But he's saying, if I could, if I could get to that level, if that were an actual level, if I was there speaking like angels spoke to each other in heaven. And, and so they think it's, it's hyperbole. And, and the, the, they support that, that fact that Nowhere else in, in the scriptures does, does Paul or anyone else tell you to speak in the tongues of angels. And, and, and they're also just the general observation that every time an angel has come to this world and communicated, we've understood. So, it could be hyperbole. But, but another suggestion is that those tongues of angels are an ecstatic speech which have no connection to a known earthly language. And I think that's probably much more like what you've heard and experienced yourselves in the churches you may have been involved with or the fellowships you may have come from. You've heard people that have been speaking a, a gobbledygook, which has no earthly connection, and, and they feel that it is the, 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 the tongues of angels. And I think there's quite a strong likelihood that this is what the Corinthians thought they were doing. They thought they were speaking in tongues of angels. Uh, and this is what Paul talks about in the next chapter. We're going to get there. You're going to have to wait. But in chapter 14, verse 14, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. There's this thought that there's this speaking in a tongue that you don't understand, and there is something going on there. And certainly, with the minds of the Corinthians coming from a, from a pagan city, where pagan worship and, and, and getting yourself up into some sort of exity and some sort of ecstatic state of divana or whatever they call it was seen as a huge sign of godliness. 
And I can imagine that many of these Corinthian people were thinking that the, that state of transcending from speaking from the tongues of men to the tongues of angels was where it was at. And if you get to there, you've made it. And if you get to there, you are, you, you've, you've done something incredible and you're so spiritual and so amazing. And, and, and sinfully, some people say, and if I make it to that stage, then I'll be like the apostles. Then I'll be like this. Then I can have control. Then I can do this. And, and then I can build this individualistic Dangers come in. But in some ways, whichever suggestion you take, whether it be hyperbole or whether it be actually something like speaking in tongues of angels, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change the outcome. Because what comes next? The but comes next. The minus the but. What is this but? But if I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Can you imagine it? These guys who thought they were getting to the pinnacle of spirituality by, by having these experiences and, and, and making this unknown noise and, and, and talking in that way. And what Paul is saying is if you, what God is saying, what the Holy Spirit was saying to them, if you have not love, that was no better than what we saw earlier. Can you imagine people's worlds coming in, crashing in on them as they're thinking? That what I was aspiring to. That's what I was trying to get. And, and there's a danger, if there's no love there, that I'm going to be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What the church at Corinth thought of as being the very best and the most desired of spiritual gifts, if without love, is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And you know what, friends? Within the worship of the temples there, they had noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. It was part of what went on. It was part of the pagan worship. And they'd have known these clanging cymbals and, and uh, noisy gongs to being worthless. They'd been saved from that. And here is the Holy Spirit speaking to them and saying, you do what you think is the best and you do it without love. You're just no better than the pagans that you've been saved from. It was empty and pointless. We have a, a, a saying in English, an English saying that says, empty vessels make the most noise. And, and this is what's going on here. If you haven't got love, you are an empty vessel making an empty noise. No matter how wonderfully developed and how impressive the gift of tongues may seem to be, tongues without love makes someone like a clanging gong or a noisy symbol, or nothing. And when we look around the world, we, we realize that there are so many hollow Christians. And despite the fact that they are charging after spiritual experience and spiritual gifts, they are hollow and empty because they're loveless. And there's too many churches and, and fellowships and, 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 and situations around the world which have all manner of spiritual seeming like experiences and manifestations. 
and they're hollow and they're empty because they're loveless. And we have to ask ourselves the hard question, are we any better? We may think we don't go after that. We may not. But where is the love in your relationship to the church and God? This would have been really hard for the Corinthians to hear. Their world is coming, crashing in around them, and Paul had not finished. He just told them that they should earnestly desire the higher gifts. He's been explaining in chapter 12 that there is more to this. It's not just about hankering after the tongues and, and, and those charismata that they thought were so important. He's saying there are these higher gifts. And now listen. You see, Paul doesn't just leave this with that. He's got their attention, but he goes on to what he's just been talking. He, he goes on, and the next if is in regard to Paul's standard. The higher gifts and he says that in verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and all understand, or understanding, all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. These are what we were seeing as, as the higher gifts, this prophetic power, this understanding, this all knowledge. These are for the edification of the church. And, and these are the very higher gifts that he's telling them to earnestly desire. And without doubt, he's talking in hyperbole now, because no one can have understanding of all mysteries. No one can have all knowledge. No one has all faith. Dare I say, if you had that, you would be godlike in regard to the spiritual gifts. But if, if someone could be godlike in regard to these spiritual gifts, if someone could get to that level with those prophetic powers, with that understanding, with all of that, and, and the church would look around at that person and they would be in awe and they'd say, this is incredible, this is amazing. How do they know that? How can they do that? How can they pray and the mountain moves? What is going on here? This is amazing. And then Paul says, but if you have not love, I am nothing. It's really interesting because he's talking about himself in his own eye, personally. But the application is for those people who are listening. And the application is for us. Paul is saying that even if he earnestly desired the higher gifts and got them to the level of God himself, to the perfection of the highest perfection they could be, he personally would be nothing if he exercised them without love. It's incredible, isn't it? The very thing that we put so much emphasis on. We, we want to hear a, a preacher or a speaker who, who seems to have it all. And, and we gather around to listen. We want to see miraculous things happening. We want to uh, have people that can understand all these mysteries. And, and people put a lot of value on those things. And then Paul is saying, they're, they're nothing. They are nothing if you have not got love. And that is why around the world there are so many hollow, empty ministries. They make a huge noise. They do amazing prophetic things, it seems. But they are empty because they are loveless.
And friends, we here could fall into exactly the same trap. We, we could think we've got ourselves sorted out with our doctrine and our theology. And we think we can do things biblically and those things are right and proper. But if those things are without love, we are nothing. The glue that holds and pulls the church together is love. Doctrine is important. Teaching is important. But love outshines it. It is far greater than it. And to complete making this point, as all good sermons, I'm told, should have, he has three points. He brings up another if. And he addresses the popular pagan culture. These people, this is where they had come from. And the pagan culture mindset was there was a lot thought of a person who, who gave charitably, who gave up of themselves. And so he addresses society's standards, sacrificial giving. And then verse 3, he says, If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned. Now, giving is a spiritual gift. And we thank God for those that have it. And they are such a blessing to the church. But in the context here, this is hyperbole. This is going beyond. This is someone who, who is not just being generous. This is not just someone who is looking for opportunity. This is not just someone who is giving their bank balance or their investments or their property. This is someone who is giving their life too. Everything. Not a might would I withhold. He's give, they've given it all. And if someone can give away all that they have, if someone can deliver their body up to be burned, to be destroyed, and, and perhaps burning there was thought to be a, a worse death than others, and, and it's painful, and it's nasty. And, and if you could do that, but have not love, I gain nothing. There is no value in great acts of giving of oneself, giving of one's material possessions, if love is lacking. And that's why this world is hollow and empty. Because it's without Christ's. It's loveless. And even the great acts of charity are empty without love. Some of these billionaires have got huge foundations and then they pour millions and billions of money into these foundations. And if it's without the love of, that's described here in Corinthians 13, they gain nothing. Perhaps Bill Gates has a little warm feeling in his stomach when he goes to bed and thinks, I gave all that away. But according to God, if he's not giving it within the love context of Corinthians 13, he gains nothing. And, and, and if you go out of here and you're so constrained and you do something foolish like putting your rent money in the offering, and you've done it without love, you've gained nothing. It's empty. And you can see why I've been saying this whole chapter is leading up to this. The, the previous chapter has been leading up to this part of the sandwich in the middle, as it were. This is love. And, and Paul gives three, these three examples 
And, and he states, have not love three times. And that's the thing that he's wanting to underline here. This is, this is the big point. This is the question. This is where it goes wrong. If you have not got love, you've got nothing. No matter how spiritual you think you are, how giving you are, how orthodox you are, how whatever the thing is that you think is important is, it doesn't matter. If love is not there, it is nothing. And Paul doesn't just attack tongues. This isn't just an exegesis against tongues. No, not at all. He goes on to chapter 14 to talk about tongues, and we're going to talk about tongues later. But what it is here is the foundation. What it is here is the most important part of church life, and it's love. And he uses these three different scenarios Again, to underline the importance, David Jackman, a commentator on this, uh, 1 Corinthians, he says this, the progression from tongues to martyrdom, or from the lesser to the greater. In this way, the whole congregation, whatever their gifts might be, is encouraged to affirm Paul's conclusion that only love can validate the exercise of any of them. And, and, and you may think, I'm only, no, love. And you may look at them and think, amazing, no, love. It is love across there. And you see, in this day and age, so much of what professes to be the zenith, the height of, of, of spirituality, sounds terribly like the gong. And if you listen carefully to so much of what is called spirituality and so much of what is called a spiritual experience, it's like one constant note of me, 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 me. And you've got the picture. A resounding gong. Friends, we need this love to protect us, to protect you from the me, me monster. The me, me monster wants to devour us. The me, me monster is the devil in his desire to make us more and more selfish, to be more and more individualistic. The me, me monster is our incarnate human sinful nature. And friends, what we need is this love to protect us from it. And as we explore this chapter of love, as we go through this, we will see that love includes both faith and hope. And we'll see that this love bears the same fruit as the ordinary and permanent fruits of the Spirit, as our Galatians, and you know them, and they start with love, don't they? And when we go through it, we're going to see those links. But in closing, what I'd like to do to underline the importance of this message is just very quickly to look at Jesus' example. Jesus' example. Jesus demonstrated all the gifts of the Spirit, except for speaking in tongues, so we, we can't do it there with that one. But if he did, and we don't know that he didn't, but if he did, it would have been in love, because Jesus would not be a clanging symbol.
But what we do know, and if we look in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, we see a healing. And then this healing is, is brought out. He saw this crowd and he went ashore and, and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick and he had compassion because Jesus has love. And then the gift was demonstrated out of compassion. The gift was demonstrated out of love. And then we have an example of teaching in Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. And again, it's when he went ashore and saw the great crowd. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he do for these people that were like sheep without a shepherd? He began to teach them many things. And what drove those many things being taught of them? His love and his compassion. He saw they were like sheep without a shepherd. He wasn't thinking, I need to get my status up. He wasn't thinking, I need more followers. He wasn't thinking, I've got to do this. He was moved with compassion. He saw these people. He grieved for them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They were vulnerable and he wanted to teach them. And so Christ's teaching was, was out of love and powered by love. And it grew in love. And if we can just have the next one up. I've managed to erase it from my notes. Giving. Sorry? It's not there. It's not there. I was going to put up John 3.16. You all know John 3.16, don't you? We all know it. For God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave. God's giving. God's giving of his best, his most, himself, his son, was out of love. Out of love. Church is built on love. Our relationship with God is built on God's love to us. In Romans 5, and we read this passage earlier, in verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is a massive link between and if I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, and have not love, I am nothing. And God, when he sent his son, was fueled by love. And Christ, when he gave up his life on the cross for the sins of his people, was fueled by love. And Christ's ultimate giving and God's ultimate giving was something. It was everything because it was based in love. And so we categorically see that when the gifts of the Spirit are used in love, they are to God's glory. And 
we will be going on in this passage to see attributes of love and, and learning things about it and seeing it in connection to this chapter 12 and spiritual gifts and seeing it in connection to the, the passages that have gone before and so many of the church's problems and not because of the doctrine and understanding and not because of a desire for spiritual gifts and not because people are willing to give. So many problems of the church today now is we've forgotten where we've come from. We've forgotten love. And we're in loveless churches. And so there is disunity. And there is jealousy. And there is fighting. And there is striving for things we shouldn't have because we think we are better than we actually are. And it's because we haven't got love. And we have to get back to this basic. And so, very, very practically, you need to ask yourself, do you personally know God's love? The starting of being a part of the church is coming into communion with God, coming into God's family. And you can only do that if you know God's love for yourself. And as it tells us here, God's love for us was that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did Christ die for your sins? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Nothing else. Nothing else matters. It's only the love of God demonstrated in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, paying the price for your sins that matters. Do you know that? And if you know that, and you're part of God's family, then we should be living in love. And rather than hankering after this other stuff and making that the most important, what should be the most important part of our lives is learning more of God's love and showing more of God's love to one another and the lost around us. And that's where the rest of this chapter is going to take us as we carry on in this series. I just want to give you a moment to think over and pray over what you've heard yourselves, and then we'll have our closing hymn in a few moments. Thank you. We plead with you that you would help us, each of us here, to see and know and walk in the more excellent way. Oh Lord God, may we go to that next level. May we be on that level of love. May your love be all that matters in our lives. And as we go through this passage over the next few weeks, may you help us to better know your love to us and better know how to express your love to our brothers and sisters and your love to the lost around about us. May we be known as a people who love you and love one another we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.